Why did Christianity begin? Why did Christianity thrive in a place where preaching the Christian truths could get you persecuted, executed, or worse, on the way to execution? Um, I want to tell you of a surety. It was not because Jesus of Nazareth performed miracles. Nor was it because Jesus of Nazareth was crucified, although those two things are true. The reason Christianity began, and the reason it flourished in an area that was hostile to it, is because of the claim that there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified and three days later he walked out of an empty tomb so that he was dead at point A and alive again at point B. That is the reason that Christianity began in Jerusalem. The resurrection is what Jesus pointed to to verify his ministry. In John 2, 18-22, the Pharisees asked him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. This is what Jesus pointed to, to verify who he was. His resurrection from the dead. So today, I want to, and I, 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 wanna, I wish I could talk more about the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. But what I'd like to do is give just a, an overview of the resurrection's significance. It is three things, as I understand it. It's more than that, but three things I'll talk about today. The resurrection is our source of hope. It is our pattern for life, and it is the template for eternity. It's our source of hope, pattern for life, and template for eternity. First of all, source of hope. Now, according to Jewish law, what did the, uh, think with me, according to Jewish law, we talked about this on Friday, cursed is anyone who's hanged on a tree, right? So, in the minds of the Jews, the Romans, and the Pharisees as well, the resurrection proved that Jesus was a heretic under the curse of God, and that the Pharisees were right all along. That's what the cross proved in the mind of the first century Jew. That he was under the curse of God, he has been hung on a tree, and obviously, everything he said and did was wrong. The two on the road to Emmaus, speaking to Jesus, though they did not know it, said, We had hoped that he was the hope of Israel. We had hoped that. All the disciples fled, except for Peter and John. John hiding out. Peter 
watching what happened that night, Thursday night, and eventually denying Christ three times. So obviously, in their minds, Jesus was a great man, maybe, but he was not anything more than that. One scholar, New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright, says, After Jesus was crucified, why would anyone call him the Messiah? Why would, why would anyone call Christ the Messiah after he was crucified? Why would that message be spread abroad after the crucifixion? The disciples abandoned him. The Jewish law proved that Jesus was a heretic under the curse of God. Yet here we are today, worshiping Jesus of Nazareth. What, what happened from that point to this point? Turn with me to Luke 24, 1 through 8. Luke 24, 1 through 8 is the event that changed the world. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. That is why we're here today. And that was the event that marked the beginning of Christianity. Um, so our, our faith is based on an historical event in history. It's very interesting, just a side note, it's very interesting that all through, through the four Gospels, it is women who find Jesus and they are, are the first witnesses to his resurrection. Because in a court of law, a Jewish court of law at this time, a woman's testimony was not even allowed in a Jewish court of law. So it's not as if the New Testament authors are just making a story up that was hard to believe in the first place and then compounding that difficulty by adding women as the first witnesses. Why would they do that unless they were just reporting what was for them kind of an awkward fact? They would not fabricate a report of Jesus' resurrection, very difficult to understand, and then compound the difficulty by adding women. That's just a historical note. So the event recorded in the, in the Gospels is that Jesus of Nazareth was dead at point A and alive again at point B and left an empty tomb behind him. That's the mark. That's the beginning of the reign of Christ. And this was the preaching of the New Testament apostles. Turn with me to, a, to another passage. Acts 2, verses 22 through 32. This is the Apostle Peter preaching. I want to read this whole text. The Holy Spirit has come down. 
and strange things are happening and people are speaking in other languages and and um, the apostles are speaking in languages they don't even know and everyone in Jerusalem gathered at that time is hearing the wonderful works of God on their lips and Peter stands up and says men of Israel hear these words Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men but God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it for David says and he quotes a psalm David says concerning him I saw the Lord always before me for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced my flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption for you have made known to me the paths of life and you will make known you will make me full of gladness with your presence brothers Peter continues I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption this Jesus God raised up and then hear this and of that we are all witnesses this is not just an idea he says God raised this man up and of that we are all witnesses to this event this is not just a moral idea this is not just a theological notion these men were witnesses to something very very unusual AD 33 this was the preaching of the New Testament church and they were certainly trying to figure out what this all meant but what they knew is that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead and appeared to men alive in 1st Corinthians the Apostle Paul quotes what is technical rabbinic he begins delivering the gospel in a way that is a technical rabbinic way of handing on an oral tradition the gospel rabbis would say I delivered to you what I received they would pass on what they received from their other rabbis and so here is the Apostle Paul delivering what he received from the Apostles preaching he says now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain for I delivered to you 
as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive today, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he also appeared to me. It's not as if Jesus stayed in the tomb and just died for our sins, and we can just say, isn't it a nice idea that Jesus is kind of risen in our hearts? And, you know, his resurrection means that we can live a humble life and we can, we can do the things that Jesus did. That's not what they're saying. They're saying there was a man who was dead and then he appeared to a bunch of people. And one of the most amazing parts of this passage here is that Paul says to the Corinthians... Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive today. The reason that that's amazing is because he's saying, they're there to be questioned. I'm not making this up. Most of those 500 men are still alive. And you can question them on what they saw. I saw him. Peter saw him. James saw him. 500 at one time. That is an amazing fact. So that's, we have the testimony of Peter so far in Acts 2. Paul saying the same thing. I'm just taking one more passage because I could take more. But the Apostle John in 1 John 1, 1 through 4. 1 John 1, 1 through 4. Listen to how the Apostle John opens up his epistle. He doesn't, he doesn't begin with, this is a moral philosophy, or here is a theological thesis I'd like to give you. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, you hear with ears, the physical world, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. And we are writing to you that your joy may be complete. Do you, you, you get what he's saying? He's saying, I'm telling you something that I saw. I'm talking about a man that I've touched with my hands. I heard him speak with my ears. I saw him with my eyes. 
That's what we're proclaiming to you. This is the life I'm proclaiming to you. Not just some vague religious idea. Not a philosophy like the Greeks. I'm telling you about a thing I saw that changed my life and the world. So what we have in the Gospels, in the New Testament letters, is the witness of people who saw Jesus of Nazareth alive after his crucifixion. So Christianity, again, please understand this, is not based on a religious notion. It's based on an event in history. The Apostle Paul didn't say, you know, if the forms out there are not true, then we are of all people most to be pitied. He did not even say, if the Pentateuch is not true, we are most to be pitied. He said, if Christ is not raised, we are most to be pitied. Christianity is based on an event that happened 2,000 years ago. A man dead and then left an empty tomb behind him alive. And note that the disciples' resurrection ministry would not have flourished in Jerusalem if the corpse of Jesus remained in the tomb. Please understand that. All that the Pharisees would need to do is exhume the body and drag it through the streets. And that would have squashed this cult. We were told in Acts 3,000 men, our souls came to Christ at Pentecost. And it was becoming a very pesky cult in Jerusalem. And eventually, it would take over the whole known world. That could not, that message about Christ dying and raising again would not have flourished unless there was an empty tomb. Do you have questions about theology, the scripture? Maybe you have doubts about a bunch of things. Um, Maybe you've questioned what preachers have said, or what I have said before. I want to exhort you to put your trust not in men, but put your trust, your foundational trust, in, that, in this event, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. If that is true, then Christianity follows. If Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead and left an empty tomb behind him, Christianity follows. And everything else is filling in the details. But now, since he has risen from the dead, we follow him. We trust his teachings and we build our life on him. Because if a man rises from the dead, it is a good idea to hear him. Um... This is the assurance that God has given us. Paul said, The times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. 
This is the assurance of God. And we, we so often want evidence, proof. And yeah, well, if God is, you know, if God is, is real, if this is all true, why doesn't he just reveal? Why doesn't he give me some assurance about this? First of all, first of all, he, he will give you assurance if you will respond. If you will not respond, there's no reason, there's nothing that constrains him to give assurance to you. But first, and, but first and foremost, the resurrection is the assurance that God has given. It says, of this he has given assurance by raising him from the dead. So this is the proof that he has given us. He has raised a man from the dead. There is great, great evidences for the Christian faith. We're going to do, at some point, I'd love to do an apologetics course. I, I, will, I, I will talk to you about the existence of God, the problem of evil, the resurrection. But the resurrection is the thing. The resurrection is the foundational anchor of our faith. It's the testimony that God has acted through Christ. That's what the resurrection is. So the Christian hope is not based in, a, in an ecclesiastical authority or a religious notion or a philosophical idea. It is based on an historical event, a resurrection of a man from, a, from the dead. So that is the source of our hope. Next, in number two, the resurrection is the pattern for the Christian life. Because the Christian has undergone a change. When you... When you become when salvation, when you get saved, it's not just a transaction. Your sins are forgiven. You are united with Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection. Romans, or Ephesians 2 is your spiritual biography. It's all of our spiritual biography. And Paul says in it, you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, there's a witness to the resurrection. You were raised with Christ. Romans 6, the Apostle Paul says that we have died with him in baptism and we were raised to walk in the newness of life. This church, the name of this church, Church of the Vine, is built on John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. If anyone abides in me, he will bear much fruit. If there's a dead twig on the ground, it's not going to bear any fruit. What needs to happen in order for it to be a fruitful branch is to be grafted into the vine. And then once the life and vitality of the vine begins to flow through that branch, it will produce fruit. 
But apart from him, apart from that vine, you can do nothing. And there will be no fruit in your life. So, as I see it, the resurrection of Christ is also the pattern of the Christian life. It means that he shares his resurrection life with you. That you're raised to walk in the newness of life. The Apostle Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. So, he's on, you're not only raised with Christ, but Christ is in you. And I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but please understand that the Christian life is more than a transaction. It's more than just you're forgiven. You are raised up to walk in the newness of life. And now the call on your life is to live a life of sacrifice and worship to God. It is now to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Something that you could not do without Him. But now you are enabled to do through the power of the Holy Spirit who mediates the presence of Christ to you. I was just talking to John at the greeting time. And John had a very good suggestion. My third question for new members, I asked them if they're going to intentionally live, intentionally live as a disciple. And we need to do that. We need to intentionally live as disciples of Jesus Christ. But it's not by our strength and power that we do that. It's by his strength and power. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So I will put that clause in the next member. Will you live by you will you live as an intentional disciple through the power of Christ? I can tell you Nidia and I were having a discussion yesterday whether Christians should be visibly morally superior to the world. And I want to say it's not, it's, you're not saved by your moral superiority. You're not saved by your adequacy. You're saved by Christ. However, with his life in you, you are now salt and light. And you are now a testimony to the world. And so I think there should be a difference seen in the lives of the church that qualitatively separates it from the lives of the world. Um, I don't know, and I can't, I can't speak for everyone else, but I can speak for myself. I can tell you of a surety that because of Jesus Christ, I am not the man that I would have been. When I was, or the man I was becoming when I was 20 years old. And that's not to say that I am perfect, and I'm sure there are some of you more holy and righteous than me. But it is to say that I, by my own realization, I, I know for a fact that Christ in my life has made me a more holy and righteous person not through me but because of Christ who lives in me 
So please understand that. That the union with Christ is, is the key to transformation. And I, I have known people who have been in the pits, who have been helpless and hopeless, but when Christ entered their life, there has been a change. Some slowly and surely, some radically and forever, but there has been a change. And again, I, I don't say this to suggest that we are going to be perfect men and women, but we will be transformed men and women. If, if you're thinking, boy, I'm not a transformed man or woman right now, oh, I could preach a whole sermon to you. But I would say, run to Jesus Christ and receive his grace and ask him for help in life and he will give it to you. And then, struggle with all your might that he powerfully works within you. Because it, was, it will no longer be you who lives as you cooperate with Christ in you, but Christ himself and his vitality and his power living in you. So, the key to change is to run to Jesus, ask for his life to flow through you, and then intentionally cooperate with that vitality as it comes to you. That is, there's so much there. But Christ's resurrection is better even than just transformation, too. Because it's not only the hope source of our hope. It's not only the pattern of the Christian life. It is also the template for eternity. Because Christ has risen from the dead, there is also, we learn, a future bodily resurrection. A physical resurrection for those are, who are united to him. So usually we think, here's, here's us going through life. We die, and we either go down or we go up. That's wrong. Okay, It's more than that. The downer up is an interim period. There's, there's a beyond that. There's a time when the dead will be raised. There's, there is a, there is a um, bone-chilling passage in Revelation where John says, Then I saw the dead, both small and great, and they stood, and the books were opened. There will be a resurrection, some raised to eternal life, some raised to eternal damnation, but there will be a resurrection. Paul says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep he is the first of the harvest. And we are all the fruits that are growing after him because of his resurrection. But he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He continues, For this perishable body, perishable body, must put on what is imperishable. This mortal body will put on 
immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. I almost pictured, I always pictured this, what Paul is saying, like Iron Man. Ever see Iron Man before when he, when he puts his suit on, his suit kind of overtakes his body, you know? That's almost what Paul is saying. This mortal body must put on immortality. So, our hope is not a disembodied existence where we vaguely remember the past and we're kind of floating around as wisps. That's not our hope. Our hope is solidly transformed physicality into a new heaven and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. That is the ultimate hope for the Christian. John says in Revelation, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. See, the earth itself will go through a resurrection, and only those who have truly resurrected bodies will be part of the resurrected world. So it is, it's not just a source of hope, the resurrection. It's not just a pattern for life, but it's a template for eternity, for your bodies and for this world. There will be a transformation. That's what you're invited to in Jesus Christ, to be included in his resurrection power, which will take over the creation one day. And he shall reign forever and ever. I, I will never forget, I will never forget two years ago when I went to Handel's Messiah. Me and Nydia went to Handel's Messiah with Patrick and Erica. Some of, some of you know them in the city. And, um, and I was listening to it, and you know, it was nice. It was, it was a long musical. But about an hour in, that familiar note began to play. Hallelujah. And it was so powerful because the whole auditorium, hundreds of people stood for the resurrect for this Handel's Messiah. And I, I mean, I almost started crying because it was such a powerful vision of when Christ will return. It's, what does Handel's Messiah say? Do I have it here? Um, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. And there's this awesome triumphant music. That's what I picture Christ's return like. John says, Then, I, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Christ pioneered the way through death and came out the other side, risen victorious. And Paul says he led a host of captives free. We are the host of captives that he has let free out of the realm of sin and death into the realm of order and life and rejoicing forever and ever.
I'll end with this. Um, I believe it's Martha who says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. This was Lazarus who died. And Martha said, and Jesus says to Martha, he will rise again. And Martha says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection. And what does Jesus say to her? Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. So you can be included in the resurrection now. It has begun. The resurrection, which the Jewish in the Jewish mind was something that would happen at the end of the age, was transformed. That theology was transformed because of what happened with Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead. And now we understand that the resurrection has begun, and you can be included in it right now through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's close in a word of prayer.